Psalm 128. Yeah, this is, I read this psalm this week. It was like, this kind of reminds me, back in the day, we would get, um, I mean, people still do this a little bit, but not as much as used to be. Used to be, you get a lot of Christmas letters every um, every year, Christmas time. You'd get a Christmas card from people, but there, a lot of times there'd be a letter in, in there. It would be like... Um, it would be like, uh, here's, how, here's, here's what our family did this year. Here's an update on the Smith family, 1987. Here's what happened. You know, so this was our year this year. So, so Christmas letters were a big thing. Um, and and some, of, some of us still do them, but, but I, I, it's not as common as it used to be. But did you ever get a Christmas letter from someone, and you're like, this is just the braggiest thing I've ever read in my life. This is so annoying. It's just like, here's all the things our kids accomplished, and here's all the awards we won in our community, and here's our promotions at work, and here's our European vacation, blah, blah, blah. And, and the, the, the whole letter is just like, our family is better than your family. Our life is better than your life. Merry Christmas. That's what it seems, that's what it seems like. That's why they wrote the letter. They just wanted to make you feel like your life is not as good as their life. They have it good, and you are, you are not living at their level of happiness. They are living the good life. What's wrong with you? That's what it feels like, a little bit. And actually, when I opened the psalm and I read it the first time, I was like, this feels like that. This feels like that. This feels like a Christmas letter I'll never write. This, this feels like, this feels like how, the other, how the other people are living. The, the good people, the blessed people, the happy people. They have a life that I'll never have. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what he means when he says his children are like olive shoots around the table. But I know that my house is more likely that my children will shoot olives around the table. <laughs> like... I'm not positive what he means when he says his wife is a fruitful vine, but my wife is, is exhausted because my kids keep shooting olives at her. And we, we're living two different lives. This is two different lives. My Christmas letters can be very different from this guy's. When we come against a psalm like this, we have to ask ourselves, is this thing fictional? Or, or in another way of putting it, does... Does God intend to give this blessed life to us? Does God actually intend to bless us this way with this kind of life? Or is it ever going to be possible for us to sit back and say, and say yeah, I'm, I'm truly happy. The, the Lord has given me, the Lord is giving me a, a good life. Well, in order to answer that question, because I think when you, when you come against a psalm like this, divinely inspired word of God, you have to ask yourself those kinds of questions. But in order to kind of get the answer to that question, we have to ask ourselves seven other questions from this text first. When we're considering the good life, there are seven questions that come from this text. If we're going to think about it properly... If we're going to think about what it means to have the good life, if we're going to think about that question properly, we, 
we have to ask ourselves seven other questions. And right now you're thinking, this is a seven-point sermon. This is not the good life, Steve. This is not, uh, this, uh, we have different ideas. Well, anyhow, you're, you'll be fine. All right. Seven questions we have to ask ourselves when we're considering the good life. Number one, first question, am I a human? Am I a human? You cannot have the good life without being a human. Verse one, look at this carefully. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Truly happy is everyone who fears the Lord. Everyone can sit down and say, yes, this is a good life. This is, this is a good life. Anyone can have this. Everyone. Anyone. Not just the people who are like really pretty, or the people who are really funny, or the people who are really rich, or the people who are really smart. People. Anyone. Everyone. We have to come to grips with the fact that it doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter what our backstory is. It doesn't matter our upbringing. None of that. It doesn't matter what happened to us in the past. Everyone, anyone, can be blessed. That is, anyone who fears the Lord. That's our next question. Because there is a huge caveat there, isn't there? There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a really big asterisk there. There's a big, there's like a big um, exception here. Everyone who fears the Lord. So number two, our second question, we have to ask ourselves, do I fear the Lord? Blessed is everyone, verse one says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Now that, of course, is like, that's like six or seven sermons all by itself. But let's just, like, let's just put it in a nutshell really quickly here for us today. To, to, to fear the Lord means to know that He is our Creator. To, to live our lives understanding that He is our Creator. And He, because He's our Creator, is our righteous judge. He is perfectly holy. And He rightfully demands that we honor Him and we obey Him and we love Him and we worship Him. So to live in the fear of the Lord means to know that, that God has every right upon us. He rightly demands that we worship Him. And then also, though, to live in the fear of the Lord means that because of our sin, we, we cannot, we will not, we don't want to, and even if we did want to, we couldn't meet His perfect standard. We could not earn ourselves into His good favor because of our sin. He is so good and so pure that we cannot stand in His presence unless He has grace upon us. So also living in the fear of the Lord means not only is He glorious and worthy and perfect, but also He is incredibly gracious. Because He has indeed had grace upon us. He sent His Son to pay for our sins. He sent His Son to die, to pay the payment that we should have to pay, to pay the payment that we deserve to pay for all of the times and all the ways that we fail to worship Him the way He deserves to be worshipped. Jesus Christ has come to cover us with His righteousness so that we can stand before God. So that we can be forgiven of our sins. So that we can one day live with God forever. So, so walking in the fear of the Lord, living in the fear of the Lord, means understanding that God is incredibly gracious. And, 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 and Well, first, first is to understand God is incredibly glorious. He's incredibly perfect. He's, he, he's, he's, in, he's incredibly worthy of our love and honor and worship and obedience, and we fail to meet that standard. We fail to do what we were created to do, which is worship Him. 
And so we have to understand he's completely glorious and completely worthy, but we also have to understand he's, he's completely gracious, that he, has, that he has forgiven us through Christ. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ. All of this is for his glory. It's through his grace and for his glory. And right now he's changing us by his Spirit into people who actually do honor and please him with our lives. So when we're thinking about, am I living the good life? Can I live the good life? Can I just be truly happy with my life? We have to start here. We have to ask ourselves, do I fear God? And then that question must also come packaged with the, with the next question. Question number three, am I walking in His ways? Verse 1 again says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in His ways. The psalmist jams these two things together. These, are, these, these two things have to be together according to the psalmist and according to the rest of Scripture. If you fear the Lord, you will walk in His ways. They have to be together. So if you belong to God, if you have been captured by the majesty and the grace of God through His Son, if God has done that work in your heart, then you absolutely will walk in His ways. You will conduct your life the way the Word of God tells you to conduct your life. You will obey God. And when you fail, which you are absolutely going to do, when you fail, when you come to realize you, you have sinned, you have, you, have, you have failed, you have messed up, you confess it. You repent of it, which means you turn away from it. You, you hate it. You want to do better. You pray for mercy. You pray for strength to resist temptation. You fight against sin. You find comfort and strength in Jesus. And then you strive to, to be obedient by His grace. You walk in His ways. This is in our big decisions, but it's also just in our small moment-by-moment decisions. We seek to honor God and live in the way He tells us to. There is a lie that is lodged in your own hearts. It's everywhere in creation. It's been here since Satan first whispered it to Eve and to Adam. There's a lie that says you cannot actually be happy. You cannot actually have the good life the way you want it. You can't actually have the good life. You can't actually be blessed unless you ditch the Word of God. Unless you turn your back on on God. God is keeping you constrained. God cannot be trusted, and He is restraining you for His own devious purposes. Because He cares more about Himself than He does about you. So, So, you can't trust Him. That's the lie that's, that's lodged itself in our creation everywhere. Every nook and cranny. And then also in all of our hearts. It is, it is embedded in there because of our sin nature. The, the lie is that I cannot be happy unless I'm free from at least some of God's restrictions. I can't submit myself wholeheartedly to Him and to His Word and truly be happy. That's never going to work. That's the lie that's everywhere. It's everywhere. We have to day by day by day combat that lie with the truth, which is you can't be happy unless you are holy. You cannot have true happiness unless you have holiness. Unless you are living in dependence and obedience to the Word of God. The good life will never be found in walking your own ways. 
day by day combating that lie that is lodged everywhere. It is everywhere. Just the, it is just assumed now. It's not even said out loud. It's just assumed by everyone everywhere that if you want to be happy, you've got to do things your own way. You have to be true to yourself. You have to do what comes natural, what you really feel like. Whatever is deep in your heart that you really want to do, you got to do it. Whatever you really, whatever just seems right to you, if it just makes sense to you and it just feels right to you, you gotta, you gotta just believe that. Or else you'll never be happy. That's the lie that's everywhere. It's just assumed. And it's, and it's satanic. The truth is, the good life is found in walking in the ways of the Lord. Now we're gonna look at, uh, we're gonna have a few questions to kind of unpack according to this psalm, what that means. So there's a few more questions now. Number, uh, number four. Question number four. Am I thankfully eating the fruit of my labor? Am I thankfully eating the fruit of my labor? Verse two says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Okay, so there is a, there's a lot going on in this little verse. There's at least two things that maybe they'll feel like they're in tension. Maybe they'll feel like they don't go together, but they absolutely do. The scripture has this sometimes. Scripture has just a couple of parallel truths. We have to believe both of them. We have to live by both of them. But sometimes it feels like they, they, they're like, uh, they, they don't work together. They don't fit together. That perhaps... Perhaps this psalm has a little bit of that in it. Perhaps this verse has a little bit of that in it. Because here's what this verse is saying. First of all, this verse is, is, is saying you're going to work hard. If you're going to eat, if you're going to have food on your table, you personally are going to work hard for it. You are responsible to go out and to make money and to, and to have food on your table, to take care of yourself and to take care of your family. The good life is not found in waiting for someone else to feed you. The good life is found in going out, working hard, putting food on your table. That's the good life. So if you're thinking, boy, you know what would be great is if I can somehow make a bunch of money and put in zero effort. If I can just figure out a way to put, put in very little effort and then just kind of make a bunch of money. That's what you're thinking. Stop thinking that. Stupid. That's not the way to the good life. That's not the way to being truly happy. That's not the way to living um, the way God has created you to live. Also, you see from this passage that we're not talking about a life of abundance, are we? You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. This is not saying... This is not saying you'll have, you'll have so much food you won't know what to do with it. You'll have an abundance of food. You'll have all that you could possibly want and then much, much more. That's not what this is saying. This is saying you'll eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You'll have enough to eat. You're going to work hard. You're going to have enough to eat. And then there's that phrase, you shall be blessed. Which, which is, it, has, it carries with it the idea of of recognizing. Again, it carries with it the idea of living in the fear of the Lord, of walking in His ways, of, of understanding that God is the one who gives every good gift. So there is this way, and again, it feels like these two things are intention, but they're not. 
They're all over Scripture. Both of them are just absolutely true. On one level, we take responsibility and we work hard and we put bread on our table. And on the other, on the other, um, the other truth that is just absolutely true, doesn't take anything away from that truth, is that God is the one who gives us all good things. God is the one who gives us bread. He gives us our daily bread. He is, he is the only one. In fact, he, He's the one who gives us like mouths and saliva, which is flying all over right now, and, and breath. and He's the one who gives us our, our ability to digest our food and to, and to gain strength from it. In Him we live and move and have our be- being. Everything comes from Him. Everything comes from Him. We are 100% responsible to work hard and to eat the fruit of our labor that we have earned. And all of it, we do it, we do it with, with 100% gratitude and thankfulness though because all of it comes from Him. All of it comes from God. It is a feast that He Himself has prepared for us in His kindness to us. So there is true happiness in thinking this way. In just going out, working hard, taking care of our family, putting food on the table, and then all the while knowing that all of this is a gracious gift from God. And then there's, there's contentment packed in here as well, isn't there? We're, we're thankful for the fruit of our labor. So that's a... I mean, that's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for, for lunch. It's hot dogs for dinner. It is just like, we're just eating regular people food. And we don't have, it's not just pouring in. We don't have, we don't have truckloads of it. But we have enough. And we see it as God's good, gracious kindness to us. We feast on those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We realize these have been hand-delivered to us from the Lord. This is a a daily reminder that He is with us and He is for us. And He is sustaining us. And since He is sustaining us, He is doing something important with us and through us. We matter. So the... So the person living the good life is not the person who's looking at someone else's table and saying, I wish I had their food. And it's not the person who's kind of waiting around. If I wait long enough, maybe someone will just give me food. And it's not the person who's saying, look at all this that I earned. I'm the man. It's the person who is working hard and, and always thankful. So if you're struggling... To, to, to really think of yourself as living the good life, ask yourself some of those questions. That was fun, wasn't it? Number five is even more fun. You guys liked that one? You're going to love this one. Number five, this is aimed squarely at married men or to young men who think that one day they perhaps might be married. Good luck. Just kidding. I just... Um, this next question is aimed squarely at married men, and here it is. The question is, number five, am I living for the good of my wife? I thought through this quite a bit this week. I was very convicted, and so you have to be as well. So I want all the married men to listen, because I'm not suffering alone. You guys are in this with me. Listen up. You can go back to zoning out when this point is over. Listen. Verse 3 says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. So let's think about this, married men. Is, is your wife a fruitful vine within your house? That's, that's Old Testament poetry. That's Old Testament language for, for a wife who is flourishing, who is joyful, who is, who is 
productive, who is lovely. She herself is thinking of of her life as a good life. She is happy. She is content. She is flourishing. So let's think about the logic here. All right, so the, the logic of this psalm is if you're not having the good life, then look in the mirror, buddy. The, the, the baseline principle for this psalm is the good life is experienced by those who are walking in the ways of the Lord. And it's also clear from this verse that the good life is not only about you or even mostly about you. Can't we say here from this verse that the good life is actually living for the benefit of other people? The good life is found in living for the benefit of other people. If you feel like your life is crummy, it's probably, it, it, I shouldn't say probably, there's a high possibility, which is, I think, the same as probably, um, you're selfish. You're thinking about life in an incredibly self-centered way. Stop thinking about your own joy and your own flourishing and your own happiness and start thinking about the joy and the, and the flourishing of your wife. Is she a fruitful vine within your house? So, so this idea of fruitful vine, and I, um, there's a lot of things it means in the Old Testament. Um, the, the closest, or, or the most concrete parallel, although it means a lot of other things, the most concrete parallel um, was in Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. I, I have a policy of not reading aloud from Song of Solomon uh, in church because it always inspires like all the middle school boys to, to study it for their devotions for the next year, you know? So, um, so that just, I, yeah, I, I was more familiar with that book than any of the rest of the books of the Bible. So that was just, I really felt that was the most edifying. So, um, so I don't read from it. And we're just, but I think married couples should read Song of Solomon chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Because this is about a husband who is incredibly attracted to his wife. He finds her delightful. He finds her physically delightful. This is the idea of a fruitful vine. But then you work through the rest of Scripture, you realize it, it, it's not just physical love. It's, it's, it's he sees her as a lovely person. She is enjoyable to, 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 to talk with, to, to be with, to spend time with. He'd rather spend time with her just doing whatever than anything else. He, he enjoys her. He learns from her. She is wise. She is patient. She is helpful. She has spoken the truth to him in ways that have greatly helped him. She knows him better than anybody else does and she still loves him for some reason. So he delights in her. And she is joyful and flourishing. So the, the, here's, the, here's the thing that this just is bothering me all week about this psalm, so I hope it bothers you too. Husbands, if that's not the story in your marriage, you figure out why it's not. And by you figure out why it's not, I don't mean look at your wife and see what's wrong with her. You look at yourself. 
you look at yourself, am, am I walking in the fear of the Lord? Am I, am I walking in His ways? In other words, are, are, are you loving your wife well? Are you putting her needs above your own? Are you laying down your life each day for her sake? Are you leading your family well? Are you like the chief repenter in your house? Are you the chief theologian in your house? Are you the one who speaks the truth in love? Do you lead by example? Are you a model of what it means to follow Jesus in your house? Are you faithful to your wife? How can you delight in your wife while also secretly delighting in some woman you see on a screen? Are you walking in the fear of the Lord? This starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with husbands. Are you determined to love your wife the way Christ loves you? The good life is not found sitting around, hoping your wife will fulfill all your desires. The good life is found in working hard for the joy and the flourishing and the fruitfulness of your wife. Question six is also aimed at men, but it has application for women as well, thankfully. Whew. Number six, am I living for the good of the next generation? We thought about this last week as well. But am I living for the good of the next generation? Your, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. What does Scripture mean by olive shoots? What's the psalmist talking about? He means they will be productive for years to come. The idea of an olive shoot is this is, this is something that's going to grow into a, in, into a fruitful and faithful and long-lasting and impactful tree. It is going to bless generations. It is going to be a blessing for generations. So the parents' legacy lives on long after they have died. The grandparents' legacy lives on long after they have passed away. Olive trees bring great blessing for years and years and years. That's the idea here. The truly happy parent is the one who is working hard for the good of the next generation. They are, work, they are putting in the hours right now so that their kids grow deep roots. So their kids grow spiritually healthy and strong. We want our children to be faithful and fruitful Christians for as many years as God gives them in this life. Like we talked about last week, we want, we want our children to be arrows lodged in the devil's throat. We want God to use them to build His kingdom. And so if you're thinking, we get, we get all out of whack in the way we think about our spouse, in, in the way we think about our children, in the way we think about like the, the, our food and the physical provisions of this life. We get all out of whack. We, we start to think that the good life is just sort of benefit for us. It's, when, it's, it's good for us. What, the, the good life is when we, when we ourselves have things. When... when when we ourselves are served by the people in our lives. This passage is teaching us different. This passage is teaching us the opposite. To walk in the fear of the Lord means to seek the good of our family. Then number seven, last question, am I willing to wait for the good life in all of its fullness? 
Am I willing to wait for the good life in all of its fullness? Verse 5 and 6 say, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. I, I, I love that this little psalm ends with a prayer. It ends in complete reliance upon God. Many people package and preach Psalm 127 and 128 together, which makes a lot of sense because Psalm 127 starts with, unless the Lord builds the house, like this is all, this is all for, this is all in vain unless the Lord does it. The Lord has to do it. So it starts with complete dependence upon the Lord, but it also ends. 128 ends with, may the Lord bless you. We are nowhere unless the Lord blesses us. May the Lord bless you. This is all, all of this in between is completely dependent upon the grace of God. And, and like we talked about last week, we have to talk about it again this week. Because we, we know, and maybe you even thinking about this as we, as we went through some of these verses, we know people who we love dearly. Who have walked in the fear of the Lord. They've, they've walked in His ways. They, they haven't been perfect, not even close. They'd be the first people to tell you, we have regrets, we've messed some things up, we haven't been perfect. But by the grace of God, they, they've walked in the ways of the Lord. They've, they've, they've repented of known sin and they've, they've course-corrected and they've tried to live according to the Word of God. And their life doesn't really look like this life that's pictured in Psalm 128. They've, they've had more than their fair share of family strife, of heartbreak, of sickness, hardship. So we have to remember, as we're reading these kinds of psalms, we, we have to remember this is a wisdom psalm. This is, like, this is like reading the book of Proverbs. Right? This is wisdom literature. This, is, this psalm is telling us how life should go. Here's what you should expect. You live this way, and you should expect these blessings. But we also know we don't live in a perfect world where everyone else is living this way. We don't, we don't live in a perfect... We live in a fallen world. In fact, we're going to see next week the world, even for God-fearing people, can be brutal. Next week, one of the verses from next week's psalm is, the plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. This world is sometimes full of tons of pain. I actually think that even in the midst of all that pain, there in verse 3 of, of next, next week's psalm, there's a ton of hope, there's a ton of comfort. Um, but you'll have to come back later to find out what I mean by that. Also, I have to decide if I understand that verse properly too. So we got some time. But I don't need... I could point you to the book of Genesis and look at the life of jo- J- Joseph, I could, or, or even the, uh, the life of Jacob, uh, the life of Abraham. I could, I could point you to the life of Daniel. I could, I could point you to the life of the Apostle Paul. I could point you to the, the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Life doesn't always work out the way the wisdom principles found in Psalms and Proverbs say it should. There's an understanding here that we live in a fallen world. Sometimes God-fearing men and women don't have enough food on their tables. Sometimes God-fearing families go through all kinds of heartbreak. We live in a fallen world. 
But we can 100% grab hold of the, of the principles that we find in this psalm. We can say, even in the midst of a fallen world, where, where the results are kind of a mixed bag, sometimes we, we get the results we're looking for, sometimes we, we don't, and sometimes we, we have just sort of a, a confusing mixture. Even in the midst of this fallen world, we can be truly happy. We can, we can say, yeah, I, I have a good life. I have a good life. We can, by God's grace, we can walk in His ways, come what may. There's great joy. There's true happiness in that. And there's also true happiness in knowing that one day we're not going to live in a broken world anymore. Because Psalm 127 is true. The Lord is building His house. He is building His kingdom. Jesus puts it this way, I'm building my church. And one day, we will gather around the feast that He has prepared. One, one day, we will be like little olive shoots around the table. We will enjoy the fruit of His labor. One day, the bridegroom that we all wish we could be, the bridegroom who has always faithfully delighted in his bride, even though there are many times we were far from delightful, the bridegroom who has always faithfully delighted in his bride will bring us home to himself. And we will know in that day that he himself is and always has been our daily bread. He is and always has been all that we could ever need. And we will be with Him forever. So until then, let's live by His grace. Let's live according to the wisdom He has laid down in His Word. And we're trying to sort out, like, why? I don't really feel like I have that good of a life. I feel kind of crummy. I feel disjointed. I feel dissatisfied. I I feel out of sorts. I feel like other people have it way better than me. When we're feeling those ways, let's start by asking ourselves, am I living in the fear of the Lord? Am I walking in His ways? Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for all the ways You are kind to us. All of us. All of us. No matter how no matter how the, the, the trajectory of our life has gone, all of us would say there have been many times we have not walked in your ways. There have been many times we, were, we had no recognition whatsoever of the fear of the Lord. We were not interested in that at all. And you have been so gracious to us. We are living proof that unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is in vain. We are proof that you are building your house. And we are proof that one day we are going to feast with You. And it is going to be good. And we know that this psalm is ultimately true. We know that it is true in a delayed sense sometimes, but we know it is ultimately true. And so we are thankful for that. And so help us, day by day, to take responsibility for ourselves. Take responsibility 
We, we, we know for sure that all of it is from you, from your grace, for your glory. We, we know that. And we also know that when we are out of sorts, we have to look in the mirror. Help us, God, to do that. When things are out of whack at our house, with our children, with our spouse, with our, when, we, when we're struggling to be satisfied with the, with the food we have on our table, when we're dealing with envy or jealousy, help us, God, to consider who we are before you. Consider all that you have given to us in the gospel of your Son. And to ask ourselves, am I living in the fear of the Lord? Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.